This week in the parish of bourses and market structure, mega shock and IPO raises the most in history and is then cancelled 48 hours before the first trades after a Chinese regulatory intervention. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast. The stormy seas of Brexit remain with the EU regulators seeking to control trade from the bloc to the world's largest financial centre, and now the EU's deadly rival, London. First the European Union outlined their usual notion of prescriptive restrictions, and then London upset the apple cart by being laissez-faire free marketeers with the customer's best interests. A forethought! This, to Brussels, an entirely alien notion of customer best execution, has created a perfect storm. The UK fundamentally believes in free trade and growing the pie. The European Union believes in managed decline and protectionism. How it took that long to drive that dichotomy to Brexit is a separate issue. However, the European Union are left looking spiteful and silly as a result of their attempts to protect their market, while the EU financial centre encourages genuine best execution in the interests of investors. As the FCA head of international, Nausicaa Stelfas, noted, While we note ESMA's recent clarifications to reduce the potential overlap of an EU and UK securities trading obligation, we chose this simple and comprehensive approach rather than replicate restrictions based on the jurisdictions of the share issuer or the currency in which a share is issued. The naked stupidity of the EU is obvious, ladies and gentlemen, and investors' actions will reflect the UK's open market stance over the long term. It was a wildly busy week for results in the parish. All the deals were in exchange invest daily. The newsletter no person can afford to be without in capital markets and market structure. For the sake of this podcast, let's look at some edited highlights. From the first to the last, excellent parish results. Well, provided you bookend them around the period after NASDAQ and before ICE, for in the middle there was mediocrity. That ICE excellence as usual report could be blithely dismissed as typical of their superior management structure but they deserve the plaudits to be sung from the rooftops. Team ICE consistently excel, as others at best stagnate. If the others can't improve their game to compete with ICE, or indeed the Adena-era Nasdaq, then the parish will look markedly different in three years' time. Certainly, what were once strutting predators now look more like simpering prey, if only antitrust would acquiesce. Signed results this week also from SIBO, TMX, and even Daris Salam the latter capitalising along on election year volatility, amongst other factors, in their first nine months of 2020. Now most results are in, we can easily divide the parish in two, not by market cap of operating company, as per Young's pyramid, but by management aptitude and engagement. Thus we have the category of they get it, led by Nasdaq and ICE, who demonstrate rigorous, strategic, customer-centric, shareholder-centric management. Then we have all the others, championed by CME and DB1, alas, but also including lacklustre London Stock Exchange Group and more, who demonstrate C-suites more in the throes of rigor mortis. There is no single holy grail to grasp the plot, as the diverging approaches of ICE and NASDAQ show, but as is becoming clearer by the day, there are a wide range of ways to lose the plot, 
including variations such as milking the monopoly, seeking career stability to retirement, and I'm sure the job spec said, run a deal-driven acquisition fund. A fourth, hey, we always did it this way, why change now, is particularly pervasive the further one goes down the pyramid. Lessons in Revolution are available on request for anyone keen to listen and engage the services of myself via Exchange Invest. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. In deals this week, the results of the LSEG Extraordinary General Meeting took place. LSEG will divest Borsa Italiana, presuming that is that the European Union's antitrust stop at this multi-kilo offering of flesh without demanding a few pounds more. If they do that, then the deal may be off. London Stock Exchange Group also had an embarrassing conflict of interest to address this week, which was sitting in plain sight. Messrs Barclays, how typical it should happen to be Barclays once again, happened to have been advising LSEG on the benefits of their deal, simultaneously advising Euronext on how to actually fund the same deal. It's embarrassing when the stewards of the markets prove so hapless. If you're locked down these days, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, check in and buy yourself a copy of Victory or Death, the book that will explain to you the future of markets the future of technology and the future of fintech in a world of blockchain, cryptocurrency and indeed that all-pervasive global fintech movement. Written by myself, Patrick L. Young, it's a follow-up to the original fintech bestseller Capital Market Revolution of 1999. It's a binary world. Your career will sustain or collapse in the next stage of digital development, hence the title Victory or Death. Victory or Death is published by DV Books and is distributed by Ingram Worldwide. Meanwhile, while you're waiting for your copy of that to arrive, drop by YouTube and search out IBO-vid. That's where you can find our multiplicity of live streams recorded for posterity, including recent excellent shows with the likes of Alistair Haynes, the CEO of Aquas. Coming up on Tuesday, we have one of the original Flash Boys, IEX co-founder Ronan Ryan. You can tune in on the live stream via Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. In Cryptoland this week, Is Binance trying to duck US regulations? Some scary accusations appearing that there may have been some form of whiteboarding of a methodology to avoid regulation, which Binance are astringently denying. Nonetheless, we can't escape the fact that, once again, another center of the Binance empire has closed down its physical office. Binance Uganda, their African arm, is the latest operation to mysteriously disappear, leaving yet more questions concerning the actual location of what might be termed the Scarlet Pimpernel of crypto bourses. In Hong Kong, they had a fintech week, which allowed the Hong Kong authorities to immediately bring down the boom on cryptocurrencies with a trading ban on retail and a demand that all cryptocurrency platforms be regulated henceforth. Equally, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, the stewards of the Hong Kong dollar, are working with regional central banks on a series of central bank digital currency projects. That leads, of course, to product news. Ant Financial, the world's largest IPO that never was. They're now refunding some $167.7 billion to investors after some $3 trillion was chasing investment in the group. The group's IPO was suspended only 48 hours before first trades were due to happen. 
The IPO suspension came after financial regulators in China signaled their intention to tighten the regulatory requirements on online consumer loans, building on their previous activities in the P2P sector, which also, of course, involves this micro-lending segment. As the smoke clears, it appears Ant can look forward to being regulated more as a fin, or a financial entity, thanks to its de facto loan origination, than the less regulated fintech. Pundits are initially reckoning that will affect valuation ahead of a next attempt at listing. I disagree. Presuming Ketri's Paribus market and economic conditions, I reckon Ant comes back at the same or a higher multiple because regulatory clarity will be prized by institutional investors and the company's growth trajectory remains simply spectacular. What we know is that Ant have 4% of the SME and consumer loan market in China. Loans can be granted in three minutes with zero human intervention. The business services 80 million different SMEs with the aim of doubling that number, 160 million companies in China by 2025. At that stage, they believe digital payments will be a $61 trillion marketplace. With 17.7 billion US dollars in revenue for the first nine months of 2020, which was up 43% year on year, and 95.6 of that coming from mainland China, there's a net profit expectation of 8.34 billion US dollars in 2021. It's unsurprising that the market fell out of bed in Hong Kong, whether it was for the stock of Alibaba or related e-commerce stocks. However, looking to the long term, this unprecedented intervention just 48 hours ahead of first dealings cancelling a listing, which after all had only been given permission a few weeks earlier by Chinese authorities, nonetheless, I suspect, will end up having a very silver lining to the cloud in due course as Ant Financial reorganizes, regroups, and comes out a regulated but more powerful entity still. In technology news this week, well, trading in warrants across Euronext's network was halted for an hour, just two weeks after that entirely chaotic day which disrupted trading across equities and left Euronext unable to discern buys from sales for some period of time. Given the fact that they're moving Borsa Italiana onto their optic system, presuming they close the deal with London Stock Exchange Group, that the Oslo platform is about to move on to the Euronext system imminently, Euronext is burning through technological credibility for what was once a respected and reliable provider, just as it continues to onboard these new acquisitions, while the core system itself appears to be suffering frustrating bouts of unreliability worrying times for the operations of the Euronext group. Over in regulation news this week, many people, including ESMA, the European regulator, getting very, very vexed about Wirecard, and quite right too. The German regulator's behaviour throughout this fraudulent shambles has been a total fiasco. In People News this week, the Abu Dhabi Securities Exchange, they have appointed a new CEO, Saeed Hamad Obaid al-Dahari, who has a very strong pedigree in the local Abu Dhabi market, albeit not so far in the parish of exchanges. However, it's all changed at ADX. A new chairman last month and now a new CEO suggests some interesting new dynamism to the Emirati market. Elsewhere, great news from the USA. Senator Kelly Loeffler, a former doyen of the parish, the backed CEO and the original powerhouse of comms, investor relations and marketing at ICE, will be taking part in a January runoff for her Senate seat in Georgia. 
Let's end this week with a quick yield curve update. Three quarters of Eurozone government bonds, a record high, now have sub-zero yields. On that mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining this number 070 of the Exchange Invest weekly podcast canon with myself, Patrick L. Young. Have a great week in markets, and if you're craving the news and information in the meantime, don't forget to check out our daily newsletter, Exchange Invest Daily. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.